With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. On this episode, we're going to get a chance to visit with uh, Lennox Lewis, who, of course, is a three-time world champion, uh, an Olympic champion, and somebody I've known for decades now uh, in the boxing world. I think he is one of the great ambassadors for the sport of boxing, and I've been looking forward to having a chance to chat with him. And I think you're going to find it really intriguing, uh, some of the things he says about his long-lasting relationship, a complicated one with Mike Tyson, uh, his fights with Evander Holyfield. And also, we're going to talk about a new uh, film that is out on him called Lennox Lewis, The Untold Story, which you can see on Crackle TV. Uh, So go to that streaming service and you can uh, see this film, which is excellent. I watched it and it's a it's a terrific film on Lennox Lewis. And I think we'll tell you some things that maybe you didn't know about him, uh, delving a lot deeper into his personality. Lennox Lewis is not somebody who uh, wears his emotions on his sleeve and uh, isn't the kind of person that will quickly reveal himself to everybody. And so I think this is the kind of uh, forum, a film like this, where you can really tell, the, um, uh, tell a lot about, about him. Uh, so anyway, that we're going to talk about that as well. We're also, of course, going to answer your questions. And for that and a lot more, let me bring in my cohort, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Hey, Trip. I am great. And Al, since this is our last show of a weird year, 2020, how would you look at the year in boxing? It's a strange, strange year. Yeah. You know, you judge it, of course, in two ha- two parts. The part before the uh, pandemic where the sport was just getting going And then how did the sport come back after, uh, you know, of course, we're still in the pandemic, but how did it come back when sports were at least able to uh, get back into action, albeit without fans for the most part? Um, I believe, you know, boxing, when it came back, first of all, kudos to the top ranked folks uh, in ESPN for getting the sport back in action. They they took the slings and arrows of trying to figure out the white way to do it with a series of shows that were, I think by their own admission, you know, maybe uh, not the super highest level of the shows that they do, but still some very entertaining fights. And they wanted to get the sport back. And I give them all the credit for doing that. And then as things went on, everybody kind of figured out how to get back in the fray and all the different platforms and the different promotional uh, groups were getting back in action. And I think in the last uh, four or five months uh, of this year, we've seen some very good boxing. You know, there's, there have been some really good fights. 
uh, some fights that that maybe exceeded expectations from what people thought. Uh, and even though many of the cards were changed because of COVID, a lot of fighters coming down with COVID, um, you know, I think uh, even with that, the sport came back in a manner that gave us some um, optimism looking forward to uh, 2021. And, you know, I am not a alarmist or a, um, a guy that's filled with hyperbole. I think most people will, will acknowledge that. But I think that what boxing has done, and, and this is where now there's a responsibility put on it, they've kind of set the table for a 2021 that's going to be pivotal for the sport, I believe. Because Sports fans now, uh, I think, especially boxing fans, they they want the next level. They want the sport to do things like it did in 2014 and 2017, a couple years where they made huge fights and delivered uh, to the fans. And for the most part, the last several years in boxing have been generally pretty good. But now the responsibility is on them to make important fights in 2021 and keep the momentum that they've kind of created a little bit, I think, with some of the, the good fights that they've made now. So we'll get right to our questions. Abraham Gonzalez asked, Al, interesting to hear your thoughts on fighters' digital social media presence and if you feel there's value to it. Also, seeing the different phases of boxing all these years, should fighters invest time into that to further develop their brand in this current market? Great question. Yeah, I thought that was really a terrific question and one that uh, everybody in, in, everybody in business and in sport and, and any commercial endeavor uh, grapples with this question or has to make decisions on this question because... What's happened now in the world is that we've been able to, to some degree, um, take away the middleman, both in terms of uh, providing um, editorial content to people, uh, advertising content in effect, even though the social media um, platforms are careful to denote that if you're too far into something feeling like a commercial, they, you can't put it on there, but you can certainly market, that's for sure. And so boxers are in the same spot. Now, boxers have had a unique problem in, I think, for a long time. As the sport was less covered by the mainstream sports media, boxers had a hard time making additional or supplemental income beyond their, the money they made from fights, getting endorsements uh, and doing things of that nature. Partially because of the nature of the sport, not everyone is on board with boxing as a sport. And secondly, because these boxers weren't getting well enough known. Well, now things like social media have allowed them to create their brand better, to push their brand, make people understand who they are and what they bring to the table. And I think it's probably helped them create other monetary uh, situations for themselves that they couldn't do before. Now, with the, the opportunities that social media brings, it brings danger, doesn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, even even people as subdued as me, uh, or as some would say as vanilla as me, um, have had their share of issues on social media where no matter what you say, 
it isn't benign, is it, Tripp? Nothing's benign on social media. Especially in this day and age. Right. You can make a statement that you think is so benign and so uh, lacking in controversy, and you might get five responses on any platform, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, you name it. Uh, you might get responses that astound you that you actually just offended somebody, and it seems almost impossible. So there is the danger there, and we have seen boxers you know, like everyone else, uh, you know, who's using social media, uh, do so in a less than responsible way and get into problems. But I think for every single boxer, just like for every promoter and every manager and, uh, and for any athlete and anyone involved in the world of sports marketing, uh, I think social media is an important function. And any, any fighter that hasn't sat down with their team and thought about the best way to use it is making a, a, a huge mistake. So uh, one of the fighters who did not have that luxury of having social media uh, when he fought um, to do marketing and uh, uh, talk about himself uh, was the great Lennox Lewis, um, who of course was uh, a three-time heavyweight world champion. He fought from 1989 to 2003, and he was uh, just a, uh, a phenomenal fighter. And I, I believe he changed the landscape in the heavyweight division. He's the one that ushered in the era of the big heavyweights. And I mentioned he was a great, he's a great uh, ambassador for the sport of boxing. Uh, he is that. And I have found him to be always a gentleman and somebody that I am always anxious to talk to. And we had a chance to do that right here. Here's my interview with Lennox Lewis. Lennox, you uh, uh, are kind of the standard by which all um, heavyweights, big heavyweights of this era are measured. Um, you're, the, you're, the, you're the person that we can look to and say, he's the man that changed the heavyweight division and started it in a certain direction. And yet one of the many charms about you, I think, is that you, in commenting on the heavyweights of today, both as a commentator and just in general when you're asked, you're very careful to not make it seem like a competition or a, a comparison between you or your era and the current heavyweights. You are happy to give them their due and say, hey, this is something different. How did you kind of adopt that attitude? Yeah, I, you know, I, I found that, you know, once you retire, there's always pressure on the next generation and they're always compared to the past generation and i never looked at boxing like that you know when people used to say to me oh well how do you think you could do against muhammad ali i'm like muhammad ali's my hero why would i do anything against him i can't see myself boxing him right now you know he's given me the tools mentally and physically to go out and and create something for myself that's why that's why i'm the pugilist specialist you know, I've got an arsenal filled with punches I can throw at any given moment. This is who I am. So um, it's unfair to really put me in that category. If you, the category that you can put me in is I'm in a room filled with great men. So that's, that's how I look good. at it. It's a very good point. But I, I've always, I always love that uh, nickname too, the pugilist specialist. I always thought that was a, a great nickname. Now yes. you, 
uh, your story is told in a, a, new, a film that just came out recently, uh, Lennox Lewis, The Untold Story, and it's available on Crackle, a streaming service where people can uh, take a look at it. I've gotten to see a portion of it. I can't wait to see the rest of it. Um, but it, it, it seems like a film that really has, is telling your story in a more complete way than it's been told before. Yeah, I mean, uh, it gives an opportunity for everybody to look at my career through different eyes. You know, they're, they're, they're being, being fed a certain um, food, which they've congest, ingested, but they haven't seen at all the menu. Yeah. So basically, you know, we're just, just given, you know, you know, when you look at, uh, to compare Holyfield, Mike Tyson, and me, we all have similar lives. We all started from somewhere. You know, we all have something to say to the kids and we've all been through hard times. So it really just shows, you know, my life wasn't really, you know, a bunch of roses. You know, it shows my ups and downs and it also shows my boxing career in a little complete uh, fashion. So, you know, and even gets to, you know, allows the public to see even me in the dressing room. I don't think a lot of people see me in the dressing room preparing for a fight. This is what I go through. So uh, sees uh, when I lost in Africa, how I dealt with that. And, and, you know, it really shows the public that we all go through ups and downs and it's really how we bounce back. You, you're someone who has gone through um, your journey with such equanimity. You are always even keel. You have presented a, a dignified image to the world so that some people might get the wrong impression that it was easy, which clearly it never is in becoming a world champion and getting past things you had to get past, hardly easy. Yeah, I mean, for my generation, we never really complained about it. We just got on with it. And, you know, if we fell off the horse, we just got up, brushed ourselves off and get back on the horse and make sure that we never, never fall off again. Yeah, so. that's, a good, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. You, uh, I'm wondering, I've never asked you this, uh, can you pinpoint kind of the either exact time or general time when you feel you started to get true acceptance in America, uh, coming as a, a fighter from across the pond? You know, America is a very jingoistic place. We, we sometimes don't always give everybody credit when they deserve it when they're from somewhere else. When did you feel like you started to get true acceptance in the United States? I think it was after the Razorotic fight, you know, uh, everybody started taking note. It's like, whoa, you know, he went so many, he went, I think about 14 rounds with Mike Tyson and only two with me. Right. So people had that to compare and said, hey, you know, this guy's serious and look how he, how he did it. He did it in, in fine fashion. So I think that was really the one because, you know, as I came over to America, I was in New York and was walking along the street and it was like, you know, a lot of the street people were recognizing me, truck drivers, hey, you're Lewis, Lewis guy. <laughs> well, everybody else was walking past, you know, doing their own thing. But the guys that were like working yeah, on the street right. recognized me. Yeah, so you started to gain that, that acceptance. And, uh, uh, and of course, one of the, I'll never forget covering, uh, you know, covering your fight with Vander Holyfield at Madison Square Garden. The interesting thing is, I actually think that, um, the uh, the bad decision that you received in that fight uh, when they made it a draw, and clearly most everyone felt you won the fight. I actually think, in a way, 
that also cemented your appeal to America because they realized, hey, this guy came over here, fought a hell of a fight, and did not get his just rewards. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, the street people saying, hey, you got ripped off. Uh, you know, the main thing that I loved about it is they got a chance to see the matchup. Yeah. You know, they could, any any part of the, any any public or any guy that loves boxing can just turn off the sound and watch it and they can be the judge. Right. And uh, that's all I wanted. I wanted them to see everybody, the public, just to see the matchup. They can be the judge. Who the yeah, best that's for be. sure. You have had the other main figure during the course of your career, and you alluded to him, obviously, is Mike Tyson, who we recently saw uh, <laughs> in an exhibition against Roy Jones Jr. You, you have had a complicated relationship with Mike Tyson going all the way back to when you guys were teenagers and you were together at the, the Custom Auto training camp when you guys actually went to see movies and you, you got to know him. And, and of course, over the years, it was tumultuous. Um, how do you kind of process where things were at the beginning and where they've gotten to with Mike Tyson? Because now, you know, you have a, a cordial relationship with him. Yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, it all started obviously in 1983 at the World Junior Championships in Santo Domingo when I actually won the, the tournament and the Americans said that, hey, you didn't box the best. And I'm like, who's the best? And they said, <laughs> it's, you know, Mike Tyson, he doesn't like taking planes. His manager, custom model, doesn't like taking planes. And me and my trainer at the time, we were saying, well, who is this guy, man? We need to find out who this guy mm -hmm. is because a lot of people didn't want to spar me either. Yeah, so, I'm sure. We found each other in that sense, and um, we, uh, me and my trainer, bless his soul, Arnie Beam, um, elected to drive up there. We drove up there. We met Custom Auto. We stayed at the house. Uh, I met Mike, lovely guy, uh, until until we got in the ring. You know, that's <laughs> that's when the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde came out in 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 Mike. And, you know, I thought he, he first he courted me and sweeted me up, and then tried to beat me up. So it, it, gave, it gave me a lesson as well. You know, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. So I'm in his territory, so I got to be careful. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was, that, that, that was then. And then he went off, off to do his illustrious pro career. And I was still amateurs at the time. So I was focused on amateurs. He was focused on pro. And um, I didn't know if we were going to actually meet, but what, when we were sparring at that time, uh, Custom Auto, in the last round said, Mike, don't you do that. You're going to face this man one day. <laughs> and I'm like, that was always ringing yeah. in the back of my head. And uh, I wondered if it would ever come true. And it did. So custom mother's words came true. They did indeed. Yeah. Um, every, <clears throat> every day I, or not every day, but many days, uh, I think about Manny Stewart. Uh, I was privileged to be his friend. Of course, you uh, had a, a wonderful relationship with him, uh, both professionally and personally. And uh, he's the kind of guy that there's one person in boxing that when I talk to people, they, they always say, you know, when people leave us, how they're missed. I think Manny Stewart is missed by more people and more often than almost anybody I can think of in this sport. Yeah, um, I tell you, uh, for even uh, 
Vladimir, he was missed as well. He very I mean, much so, yes. Yeah, I was, I was actually surprised at Vladimir not trying to get another trainer. He, I guess there was no trainer after Manny, no. you know? And uh, even the, the effect of what... Manny used to look after all the kids. I, I remember going down to Detroit. His house used to be packed with kids that he just took in and, you know, and talked to them, cooked for them. He was a hell of a guy in that sense. And, uh, you know, he's, you're right. He's going to be missed and, uh, and forever mem uh, remembered. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I want to remind people the film that they can uh, look at on Crackle. It's called Lennox Lewis, The Untold Story, which will give you a fuller picture uh, of, of his career and, uh, and also him as a man. And the one thing uh, that I have to tell you is often people, uh, when they talk to me uh, about knowing boxers, and, and obviously you're one of the fighters that I've known over the years and, and enjoyed interacting with, they think of you as kind of an enigmatic uh, character because you don't fully reveal yourself. You are, a, a, you know, a, not the kind of person that lets out your emotion every two seconds in life. Uh, and so I think uh, this film will, will be really beneficial to people to find out a little bit more about who you are. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I, I can assure you that, you know, even the, the feedback right now, you know, people said they'd never realized you know, what kind of person I was or that this yeah. happened, you know? So even for you, like when you see it, it's going to bring back a lot of memories. Oh, yeah. So. I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, you, you are now, uh, uh, of course, connected to boxing as a commentator. And I'm wondering, does that connection, because when you're involved in boxing, you, you know, you want, many people want to continue to feel the connection after they've uh, they've ended their career, whether, and they either get involved in the business side or sometimes they train or sometimes they get into commentary. Does the commentary give you the kind of connection to the sport that is enjoyable to you? Yeah, absolutely does. Absolutely does. It, it gives me a chance to uh, show, you know, wh what type of mind I have because really boxers, see the fight differently yeah. than somebody that really hasn't stepped in the ring. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to give across a lot of those type of opinions because a lot of people say, hey, you know, I didn't see that. Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't know that. So I love that. Yeah, you do do that. And one of the things, the funny things, you and I have never commentated a fight together. Someday we'll get a chance to do it, perhaps. Absolutely. I look that would forward be a to lot of, That would be a lot of fun. Lennox, yeah. I really appreciate you visiting with me. And uh, uh, I, we will talk a lot about your, the film, which uh, I hope everybody gets a chance to take a look at. And uh, I've said this before, and I will say it again. You are one of the greatest ambassadors the sport of boxing has ever had. Thank you, Al. And, and you too. Bless you too. We're happy to have you, and we're glad that you're here with us. Thanks so much. Hey, right. take care. Thank you. Well, it's time for us to talk about my bookie. Uh, and, um, you know, I get asked all the time by folks, uh, who's going to win this game? Who's going to win that game? Uh, and uh, when you're in the sportscasting business, that is what, in many respects, are on people's minds. And uh, I get asked this question all the time. And, you know, my response to them is always sometimes it not just important who you're betting on, but how do you 
place that bet and where do you go to do it. Uh, and I always tell people they should visit my bookie. Uh, they've got uh, deposit matches, uh, free bets, and huge cash uh, contests that you can take advantage of all season long. Obviously, the NFL uh, college football, college basketball—you name it. Every sport they've got uh, covered. They have—it's a—they uh, have a mobile-friendly website and top-of-the-line customer service, and uh, it makes their platform a one-stop shopping for all of your betting needs. Now they offer action on everything from championship futures to NFL in-game betting, um, and you can make sure you're covered uh, on all these, and they will help you be covered on them every step of the way. Uh, now, uh, if you sign up at my bookie today uh, and you use our promo code Bernstein, that's B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, to claim uh, a halfway match on your deposit. So in other words, if you put in $200 for your uh, wagering, they will spot you another 100 to play with. It, it's a bonus designed to give you a little help and uh, a head start on your winning season. So the promo code, again, my last name, Bernstein, that's B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, uh, so you can claim your bonus uh, when you make your deposit and get going. So uh, all sports are handled, whether it's stacked UFC cards uh, or any of the other sports that I've mentioned, you can find that on my bookie. Now, we uh, <clears throat> have been making picks because they have provided me with a bankroll to make selections. And it's been hit or miss. I've done, I've, we've had a few wins and a few losses. Uh, but uh, each week we pick a game uh, that um, we give uh, our idea on. And uh, Trip, this one this week involves two uh, divisional rivals. Uh, in which one of them finds themselves for the first time in a long time being the favorite. Yeah, this is really kind of amazing. But if you look at the season the Miami Dolphins have had, with no expectations, they have had probably the best results compared to expectations of any team in the NFL. And they're at home laying two and a half against the visiting New England Patriots. Yeah. And while I think everyone thought the Dolphins, who looked like an improving team, were going to take a half step again this year upwards, you're right. They didn't expect them to be in the position they're in right now, uh, challenging for a playoff spot uh, and in a position where they are very, you know, reasonable to think they might have a shot at one uh coming off a loss to the chiefs but not an embarrassing loss by any stretch of the imagination they take on a very different new england team than the one they would have seen last year uh and a, a, a new england team that is uh in a uh not in the best position to even hope for uh playoffs but if they're going to hope for it they have to get a win this week uh, against the Dolphins. And the Dolphins aren't a very large favorite, are they? You think with the disparity in records and all the rest, they would be a bigger favorite, especially being at home, but they're not. But I'm going to go with the Dolphins, uh, even with giving the two and a half points. Uh, Tua is starting to, uh, I think, be the quarterback that they thought he was going to be. Uh, you know, he's he's been fairly consistent, but hasn't. he's just starting to make that jump to where they were hoping he would be. And uh, and normally, these are the games where you, you worry because you have a rookie or, you know, a quarterback that is facing Bill Belichick and all the tricks that he and his defensive people can bring to bear. 
But I think in this instance, uh, the Dolphins will uh, and Tua will survive, and uh, I think they're going to cover the two and a half points. So I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Lennox Lewis. I hope you did as well. Uh, I find him to be a really interesting man uh, who some people think of as uh, because he's not controversial and because he doesn't trash talk and because he uh, he doesn't engage in uh, controversies. Some people think he's not interesting, and I really disagree with that viewpoint. I find him fascinating, and I think uh, a lot of the things that he says on the sport and on life are, are intriguing. And uh, so I'm happy we had a chance to chat with him. And, uh, uh, and we still have more questions doing that trip. We do. And but first, before we get to the questions, British heavyweights, mm. we've talked about this before. What is it something in the water? Why is the UK all of a sudden developing the best fighters in the world? Yeah, you know, it. Uh, the heavyweight division changed uh, in terms of Europeans dominating it when the Klitschko's came on the scene. It wasn't just the Klitschko's. The American heavyweight became... Uh, kind of like the buffalo, you know, looked extinct <laughs> for a while. Um, another American institution that uh, became instinct, uh, extinct. But, uh, and the, the Europeans took over. Then it, other than Deontay Wilder, who of course won a world title and, and uh, as an American and has been a major player in the heavyweight division, obviously, the fighters from the UK started to... Uh, become important, you know, with Anthony Joshua uh, and Tyson Fury. Uh, David Hay was, uh, you know, uh, on the scene. Um, and we've had a number of, of contenders from the UK as well. And even currently now, we just saw Joe Joyce win an important fight. Uh, there are uh, a number of uh, heavyweights in the UK that are of note. And of course, the two that are most of note, Anthony Joshua and uh, and Tyson Fury look like they are going to create a lot of headlines. Well, it's it's a it's a division, and and as someone who grew up in the same era as you did, I loved it when America was preeminent in the heavyweights mm. because it just made the sport so important to the fans in the U.S. Yeah, to our fans, we we like big things, right? We like big cars, uh, you know, and like everything big, and so the heavyweight division, uh, which was you know, almost exclusively, uh, with the exception of situations here and there, the heavyweight champion was mostly an American for so many years. And, uh, you know, Americans look at it jingoistically, like, oh, that's our birthright to have uh, the heavyweight champion. But of course, that turned out after starting, you know, with Lennox Lewis and the Klitschko's and now the current era, we realize it is clearly not, even though Wilder has uh, part of the heavyweight uh, crown and he's uh, had it for a while. Um, you know, I, I think having a good heavyweight division is important to Americans as well. And part of the uh, the 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 intrigue of what's going on right now. Yes, you have Wilder, who is an American, who of course has been involved in those two big fights with uh, Tyson Fury. Uh, but I think just the fact that the heavyweight division is a competitive one. And after kind of a lackluster period, um, it's back on people's minds. I think that helps the sport. Now, I'm not one of those people that thinks that 
without a dominant or strong heavyweight division, the bo- sport of boxing is somehow doomed. I, I don't believe that, but but it doesn't hurt to have a good heavyweight division. Okay. And our next question comes from NJNYC0701. <laughs> and uh, his question, what are the chances we get both a Fury-Joshua fight in the heavyweights and ah. a Spence-Bud Crawford fight in 2021? An appropriate question. And by the way, he, based on his Twitter handle, is he like Maxwell Smart Secret Agent? Is that who he is? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we just dated ourselves on that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maxwell Smart, the most recent uh, possible secret agent I can mention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's there's a bunch of 30-year-olds scratching their heads right now. Um, so uh, on those two fights, those are the two fights or two of the major fights that boxing fans and it, it, it goes back to some of what I was saying before about the year 2021 and the expectations of this coming year. The Fury-Joshua fight, I mean, let's be honest, that's a 90% to 100% chance that we'll get at least one, possibly two, because I think they were talking about trying to make it a two-fight uh, series. Uh, that fight, I believe, is going to happen. The only real uh, uh, issue that they have to deal with um, is for the most part is, uh, uh, Alexander Yusick, who is a, uh, has a, uh, a mandatory, uh, against Anthony Joshua, and they're going to have to figure out a way to make him happy in waiting, uh, while all this takes place and for him to get the first shot at whoever wins. But I think that fight will almost surely be made and, uh, and it will be, whether it will be the first one, if they have two of them, I think one will be for sure in the in England. But you know whether they will hold that one in England remains to be seen. There'll be a lot of money thrown at them from Dubai, probably. Uh, and 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 Anthony Joshua has already said publicly he's willing to try and uh, temper his financial needs for that fight if they could hold it in England. Um, and I. I'm sure Tyson Fury as well would like to see it held there. It would be the biggest boxing event probably ever in in the UK, um, and would be is going to be a worldwide event that people are going to be uh, anxious to see for sure. But I think that one's ninety percent to hundred. Now Spence Crawford, um, this is the fight that is dangerously close to becoming Pacquiao Mayweather because that fight, of course, didn't happen for a long, long time. It finally happened later than it should have. And in fact, Pacquiao ended up being, even though since then he's performed very well, he ended up being kind of a diminished fighter in that. He had, a, he had an injury. He wasn't, uh, didn't fight on the level probably. And some of that was due to Floyd Mayweather, of course, uh, by doing an excellent job. Uh, but it didn't turn out to be anything near what people wanted it to be, uh, even though financially it was very successful. And this fight is in danger of that because Bud Crawford's 33, Spence is 30. Now, the good news is that Spence came back and showed he is not a uh, diminished fighter uh, after his very bad car accident. And good for him that he's not. Good for him that he survived it. And he came back and performed exceptionally well against Danny Garcia. But this is a fight that really, really, really needs to happen for them and for the sport of boxing. Uh, you know, 
they can both make more money doing that fight than any other fight. That's just a fact. Uh, yes, they're both being compensated very well <clears throat> for the fights they're making, uh, but they can make more money. The sport itself desperately needs that fight. And the reason it desperately needs it is because like the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight, the, the, the mainstream sports media, when there's a fight that boxing doesn't make, they get fixated on that fight. And they always say, it, use it as an example that, well, see, boxing, you, they never make the fights people want to see. And, uh, you know, there's too much infighting. When in reality, boxing might be making a lot of great fights. It was true, I think, as far as Pacquiao Mayweather was concerned. While that fight wasn't being made, there were a lot of other great ones being made that the mainstream sports media was kind of ignoring. So it's kind of like an albatross around the sport's neck when that happens. And in this case, uh, this fight is the example that the mainstream sports media uses uh, when they're talking about boxing not making good fights. So this fight really needs to happen in the year 2020. Now, uh, Crawford said, I don't need it for my legacy, I think, you know, but I, I will beg to differ. And it's purely a matter, it's, it's not a criticism of him and it's not a criticism of anybody except circumstances. Errol Spence has had an opportunity to face more of the credible welterweights that exist in this world. Um, he's had an opportunity to face Sean Porter uh, and Danny Garcia uh, and other welterweights as well. Uh, and we'll have an opportunity to face more of them. Um, and the, the question is, can Bud Crawford, because of the promotional issues, he's top rank and uh, had, doesn't have all those uh, welterweights available to them, and that's who Bud Crawford is with. And they haven't been able to, PBC and, 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 and top rank have not been able to do these crossover fights with uh, the other welterweights like Thurman and Pacquiao and uh, Porter and the like facing Crawford or, of course, Errol Spence. So he has fewer of these great guys available to him. And, and the reality is that because of that, he's not really fought the A-level welterweights. He just hasn't. And I think that it is important. Uh, like If you're going to worry about legacy, if you don't care, then that's fine. You don't care. But if you're going to think about legacy, I think it's important for him to, to get this fight, to demonstrate in, that, you know, he is the best welterweight. And look, there's no question Bud Crawford is a fantastic fighter. He's been good at every weight class, um, and he's a terrific fighter. Uh, there's, there's no criticism of him not being a, a great fighter, but we don't know how great, and we don't know how he will function against the A-level uh, welterweight um, uh, competition that is out there. He might run through everybody. Um, he might beat Errol Spence handily. Who knows? I doubt that. I'm sure it will be a competitive and a terrific fight. Uh, so I think it's important on a number of different levels for the men involved and the sport of boxing. Well, and one of the things, Al, if that fight, let's say, gets pushed till later in 2021, yeah. it could be in Las Vegas and potentially it could be at the new Raiders Stadium, which yes. will give them a live gate that is incredible. Yeah, very good point. And it isn't likely to happen until later in the year. So 
And that will probably be one of the many reasons why they will even shoot for them. I, I, that fight will not be made in the first part of the year, the first half of the year. So by the time it is made, let's say it's in the fall, there's a pretty good chance, uh, it, if nothing else, real good chance that they can put it at at Allegiant Stadium in, in, in Las Vegas with somewhat lesser amount of people there than filling up the entire arena, which would still be a crowd of maybe 30,000 people or something of that of that nature, and probably could do the same thing, uh, you know, uh, Errol Spence would love it down at Texas, uh, you know, at Jerry Jones's house in Texas, um, uh, at that arena, as well, that stadium as well. So yeah, it would, the fact that it is likely to be later in the year will probably add that additional revenue stream and add that level of excitement to it. And I, I think it's about a 50-50 chance that that happens. The pressure, I believe, is going to continue to build on them to do it. Everyone has already seen that there's been a strained relation between uh, Crawford and Bob Arum of Top Rank. Uh, I believe his contract will at some point expire late in 2021, I believe. So, you know, whether that will be the breaking point and then he will be free to fight whoever he wants. And then, of course, they have to actually make the fight or whether Top Rank and PBC can do it as entities remains to be seen. But whatever, that is a fight that boxing fans really want to see. Great. And our final question of the year from Mr. Percy Lee Carey, Jr. In your professional opinion, who wins between Shakur Stevenson and Chris Colbert and why? This is a really, really interesting uh, question. First of all, the 130-pound division is fantastic. Um, it, it has as much depth as almost any weight class uh, that I can think of. Um, <clears throat> you know, you have uh, champions like Miguel Burchelt uh, and Jamel Herring, and Herring is fighting uh, uh, Carl Frampton. Um, and Shakur Stevenson is in that weight class, obviously. Uh, and, you know, you've got fighters like, uh, young fighters like Chris Colbert, who we're going to talk about in a second, uh, and uh, Xavier uh, Martinez, who is a terrific fighter, uh, and just a number of other superb fighters in that division. And uh, we saw in their last outings just, you know, less than a week ago, we saw both Shakur Stevenson uh, in his fight winning by a dominating decision. And then we saw a Chris Colbert, uh, who's one year older than Stevenson at 24, uh, both, of course, undefeated. We saw him beating um, Jaime Arboleda in a knockout, uh, knocked him out in the 11th round. And that was an exciting fight. Arboleda, a very credible opponent who had come in with 13 knockouts in his 16 wins. They produced a ninth round that was one of the best rounds of boxing I've called in the last year. And I think one of the best rounds of boxing period that ended at the end of the round. It would have been a round probably Arboleda would have won uh, 10 to 9. But it, would, it was an exciting round, certainly which Colbert got a lot done as well as Arboleda. And then right at the end of the round, uh, Colbert was able to land a knockout or knockdown within the last 10 seconds of the round, which turned it to a 10-8 round. And then in the 11th round, he was able to 
twice knock down uh, Arboleda and win by TKO. Both of these men showed tremendous skills at, and showed us why a potential fight between them would be very intriguing. Now, uh, oh, and also I mentioned uh, I mentioned Burschelt. He's going to fight Oscar Valdez, it looks like, who's a former champion from 126 pounds, who's coming up and now is at 130. And oh, by the way, Lomachenko, Vasily Lomachenko is now coming back to 130. So that's yet another terrific fighter in that weight class. So, uh, but uh, right now, uh, Stevenson wants to fight the winner of the Jamel Herring Carl Frampton fight, which would be a tr- very good fight, and Jamel Herring and Frampton will be a good fight. So Colbert, who will probably be looking for other avenues to get a world title, wouldn't be fighting Shakur Stevenson for at least a year and a half if they can make that happen. And again, that's another one where the promotional and network responsibilities of the the two fighters are at issue. But I don't think there's any boxing fan after their performances this weekend, this past weekend, that wouldn't want to see Shakur Stevenson and Chris Colbert in the ring. Colbert showed us a different version of himself. You know, he's always been a slick boxer, but in his last fight against Jezreel Corrales, a former champion, an important win for him, he was, uh, it wasn't an exciting fight. And Colbert, with only five knockouts, now six after the knockout, that he had over Arboleda has not known as a power puncher, but when he, but he turned it on in this fight and he came out to make a, not only a statement and winning, but I think a marketing statement to say, Hey, I'm a guy you're going to want to see moving forward. And, uh, so I think he and Stevenson, uh, both will make a great fight. Now as who do, who would win right now? I think Colbert is a little behind Stevenson in terms of his overall development, even though he's a year older He has not, uh, you know, Stevenson's already won a world title at 126. And I think Colbert is very close to where Stevenson is, but not quite there yet. So as this fight marinates, to use Bob Arum's famous word, uh, Colbert will, you know, make up the difference. And by the time they get in the ring, it would be, I think, a pick-em fight. And, uh, And it would be one that I think would be scintillating and boxing fans would really want to see. And again, that division has so much talent in it that I think we're going to see a great fight. I'll tell you the fight I would love to see in the interim, but they probably won't make it is, uh, Xavier Martinez, who just had a big win over Claudio Moreira on one of the, uh, on the Charlo pay-per-view card. He, uh, he and Colbert, would be a dynamic matchup. And they are both promoted by the same group. So that one is one that potentially could happen. Um, now, all through the year or in recent months, we've been uh, talking about uh, our association with Tommy Ankello, who is the uh, uh, has world-class boxing uh, YouTube channel, which is a great channel that provides uh, videos that are kind of geared to fighters, to amateur fighters, even pro fighters that they're they're instructional, they're educational, but they're also fascinating. They're also, I think, interesting to boxing fans who want to learn about the sport. And I find myself, every time I look at one of his videos, when he has a new video, learning something fascinating and different about, uh, about the sport and about um, how certain fighters go about their business of creating strategies. So 
We want to thank our friend Tommy Ancello and urge people to go to his website. Well, it's the uh, our last show of the year. And it was funny during the break, Al, you said, what movies are you, you were talking to Chris and I, our producer, what we were excited to yeah. go see. And I said, I'm the Grinch on that front, but I asked you how many movies you were in and you ticked off eight movies. Yeah, I think about eight, maybe there might be nine and then a bunch of TV shows. So I've, I've had been fortunate to be in a few, but again, never in a Christmas movie. Now that would be, you know, I would love that. Um, but... Uh, if John Hughes was still around, your fellow Chicago and had sadly passed away, maybe he could have put you in Home Alone Seven, <laughs> which will be which will be released right around the same time Rocky Seven is released. So, who who have you played in the majority? Have you played a dynamic, interesting, smart guy in most of the movies? <laughs> yes, I've I've played a character that I find fascinating. Um, <laughs> me, actually. Uh, <laughs> It was remember when Al Franken was on uh, Saturday Night Live, he, he said it was the Al Franken decade. Um, for me, every decade in terms of movies has been the Al Bernstein decade because primarily that's what I've now I've played a few other characters that were slightly different. Uh, one time I was a ring announcer and uh, the other time I one and one I was kind of another character, not exactly me. Uh, but for the most part, I've played me. And now here's the here's the thing. There's enormous pressure on you because let's say you don't play you very well. <laughs> you know, how could you do a worse acting job than that? So, you know, it's a lot point. of pressure. People, you, people used to, oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted. Well, have you been reviewed? Have you ever seen a review, you know, saying Sly Stallone was okay, but Al Bernstein was amazing yeah, as himself? He didn't measure up to being himself. No, you know, for the most part, while I've gotten mentions in some reviews, I have not actually been critiqued for my uh, for my acting ability. I've been critiqued for my music ability, but never for my never for my acting ability. So uh, I did get I got one terrible music review, by the way. Uh, I did one of the shows I did before one of the big fights in the 80s. I'd already done a bunch and uh, and gotten pretty, you know, for the most part, it, I both the response was generally pretty good. Uh, this one critic who's writing for the Las Vegas Review Journal came and she just did not like anything about what had happened. You know, she didn't like the I did. You know, I always did a lot of different song parodies in addition to doing standards and doing blues and other things. She didn't like those. Uh, she didn't didn't like the material of the, the that I did. And everything about it was bad. Now, the funny thing is, we had a mutual friend who was a singer in Las Vegas. And about five months after that, I found myself going to see my, my, my friend, Zoretta Holloway, who was a singer. And I sat at the booth that she had reserved for people she knew. And she didn't think about this. And who shows up to sit at the booth we're at but this woman who had reviewed me? Uh, just five months earlier and, you know, eviscerated me in the newspaper. <laughs> so I but I, you know, I, I handled it, uh, I thought, in a uh, uh, in a dignified way. Um, right after I spit in her eye, I offered my hand, to, you know, in handshake. <laughs> well, it, it reaching into her wallet and stealing her Amex card to put everything on her card. Yeah, I thought it was a little tacky. Was, but... I thought that I thought I was due at least that. So never got reviewed, though, in a. <laughs> Uh, in a regular role. So um, Christmas time, uh, uh, 
of course, this is the time that we do look at all the movies that we... Uh, now, do you guys go back? We we start around, you know, mid-December. And we I will admit to a guilty pleasure that I've admitted to on Twitter. I am a Hallmark Christmas movie junkie. You know, uh, my wife and I, they are, of course, they are the most formulaic movies ever made in the history of film. And there are only like three plots um, that get, you know, regurgitated virtually every third movie. But for some reason, we, we can't stop ourselves from watching them. Do you guys watch Christmas well, movies or, or holiday Well, first movies? of all, the Hallmark movies are truly horrible. And yeah. sadly, I've auditioned for three or four. They've shoot a lot of them in Salt Lake. Oh, so you auditioned for a couple. I have not made a Hallmark movie, ah. which might be a reflection on my acting ability. Or maybe maybe the fact that you you know you have this predisposed idea to them that you know, you find them uh, for uh, you know less than uh, dynamic maybe maybe that you know if you would that maybe that affected your performance a little bit in the auditions. You know, I maybe went in with an attitude, but that's a good point. I'm going to work on that in the yeah. future. I'm gonna... All right, I, want, I mean, we're we're going to have to sit down. We'll watch some Hallmark movies. Now, here's the interesting thing. So, I watched a movie the other night called Dashing. In De Dashing December, it was called. And it was on Paramount. And it was exactly the hallmark formula of movies. Save one thing. The main character came back to... Andy McDowell was in the movie. And the her son came back to visit her uh, around Christmas time. And he was kind of, he had never been involved. She, had a, she has a ranch. And he was never that involved. And the ranch was failing. And he was part of a, a working out a deal for the ranch to be purchased by a developer who was going to put a racetrack in there. And he comes home, and like in all Christmas movies of that ilk, he falls in love. And that kindles his, with, uh, with somebody on the ranch, and it rekindles his interest in the ranch. The difference, though, between this movie and all the Hallmark movies is he fell in love with another man. So oh. <laughs> clearly, that is a movie that we are never going to see on the Hallmark channel. <laughs> and okay. as I was watching it, I was thinking, I looked at the uh, the the uh, you know the description, and I'm watching the movie, and I'm realizing you know the direction it's going to go in, and I'm like, holy cow, this is not this is you know this is not your normal Hallmark movie. It was a charming movie and very well done. And of course, now we talked about uh, social media. Of course, I tweeted about it, and needless to say, there were some people that you know. We're annoyed that I found it to be a charming movie, but that's that's another story. We won't get into any you, of that because, you know. Al, you will be the only boxing announcer who ever admits liking Hallmark movies. This yeah, is... no, I will be. Yes, I will be the only. There, there will and and oftentimes when I talk about it, people are are uh, you know are shocked and appalled. But um, what can I say? <laughs> Um, well, anyway, we, we want to wish everybody, of course, a happy holiday. My, my best wishes to you. Uh, and uh, Chris, our fine producer who does a terrific job. You don't get to see him on this show, but he does a fantastic job of producing the podcast as well as our TV show. He works exceedingly hard on it. Uh, and it's a really uh, complicated endeavor to do both of these shows uh, and turn one into the other and deal with the different interviews because there are different expectations on the TV show than there are on the podcast. And he does a wonderful job and uh, want to wish him the 
the best. And of course, you, Mr. Tripp, uh, I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. And there are a couple other people on our team that we should shout out to. First of all, Kelly Kantz, yes. who is with Kantz Media in Nashville, and she does an amazing job. She has taken something. We started this podcast back in March, you and I. Yeah. And we uh, just got a glimmer, and Chris and Lee helped us in our end. Yeah, Kelly uh, also props to Lee, who has produced many shows and does a, a wonderful job as well. And then your agent. Uh, I don't know where you found her, but 80, <laughs> 80 is amazing. Yeah, 80, 80 Zuckerman, who uh, helped put all this together. She happens to be my sister and also manages my uh, my affairs. So uh, uh, she's we've had a good team working on this. And I, I'm glad you actually brought it up that way because, you know, we started out doing a podcast. It's now a TV show that's on all over the United States and uh, in Canada and the Caribbean, and we're, we're we're hoping for more distribution as we head into 2021. So it's been a great journey of doing this. And I want to thank your company, uh, Let's Do Something Productions, because without you guys, I wouldn't be in the podcast business. You were the, you know, the, uh, the, the driving force that made this happen. Uh, and so it's been a, a great endeavor for me. I enjoy working with you, of course, and I enjoy the process of this show where we get to visit with different people, uh, both in and out of the boxing world. We've done interviews with folks that are boxing fans, but are involved in other other endeavors. So it's been a been a great year. And, we're, and uh, I know like you, I'm looking forward to 2021. So, a lot of fun. Thanks for everything, Al. Yeah, been great. Uh, great year, and we're looking forward to an even better one in the one coming up. Uh, happy holidays to all of you. We'll be back with uh, new shows starting in the first week in January with a lot of big-name guests that will be unrolling. And uh, we hope you have a great holiday. Take care. <laughs>